0: Well, kiddos, it is time to head off to Overflow Kids. We've got an awesome day planned for you. But adults, y'all can be seated. Uh, it is a joy being here once again this morning. Uh, and today, we are continuing our series we're calling Family Values. And throughout this series, uh, we're looking at the core values, the core identity of who we are at Overflow Church. Last week we looked at how Jesus is our example, and today we continue by looking at how our second family value defines us, and that value is fundamental transformation. So as we look at this value, we're going to kind of unpack what fundamental transformation is, why it matters, and how we see that happen in the life of Paul as well as in our own lives. Now, transformation is something that always seems to grab our attention, doesn't it? I mean, whether it's Optimus Prime, Amazon's cousin, uh, or a a massive life change or a shocking discovery that something is no longer the way that we once thought that it was, whenever you hear about transformation, not only is your interest piqued, but you want to know what caused the change. You want to know what happened that led to this transformation. I mean, let's just think of an example here. Think of the actor Robert Downey Jr., right? We love him, uh, especially nowadays in the Iron Man era. Uh, But imagine you only knew of Robert Downey Jr. in the 80s and 90s. You didn't know anything about his life after that point. Now, you may remember him in that period in the 80s and 90s. He was a a troubled actor. Um, I mean, honestly, who wouldn't be with his life story at the age of eight His dad introduced him to drugs, and he was heavily addicted. Uh, He had a, a highly troubled life. Of course, he struggled. But as he grew, he continued to face troubles with the law. And at one point, he stood before the judge begging against a prison sentence. And he said this quote to the judge. He said, it's like I have a shotgun in my mouth, and I've got my finger on the trigger. And I like the taste of the gunmetal. Isn't that just, that just, it chills me thinking of how, how sad of a statement that is. That he knows the painful and dire circumstances that he's living in. But he, he can't get away from it. If that's all you knew of Robert Downey Jr., you would probably be shocked to discover that today not only is he still alive but he seems to be thriving. He has a marriage of almost 20 years. He has kids that he seems to be raising well. He has a successful career. Um, So not only is he alive, but he's thriving. So if we were looking at his life, we would want to know what led to this change? What led to this transformation? And if you only knew a small portion, it would be hard to imagine how far he has come. We're drawn to stories like this. We want to know more about what led to this transformation. Today we're going to see a similar transformation in scripture. We're going to be looking at the life of Paul in particular, as my dad read just a minute ago, but we're also going to put our lives under the microscope and see the transformation that we have experienced or that we desire to experience. So as we dive into Acts chapter 9 in just a moment, Uh, we're going to be looking at this fundamental transformation, what it is, how it affects us, and why it is so important. But we're going to see in particular how Jesus transforms our identity, our perspective, our relationships, and our world. So as we walk through the text, we're going to see those four areas in particular. Uh, And we see Paul walk through them in Acts 9. But we're also going to come around and examine our own lives through those same lenses. So before we turn to the text, I want to briefly say something that shouldn't be a revolutionary concept. But in our world today, it it sadly is. All right? So you cannot have two people on the throne. Here's the quote. If you are on the throne, then Jesus can't be. If you are in control of your life, managing every little detail, Jesus is not. Now, I think we would all agree with this uh, at some point at least, that there can only be one person who's in charge. Uh, If you watch The Office, you can't have co-manager and co-manager. It just doesn't work out well. There's only one person in charge. But as we look at this, there's one person at the helm, one who charts the course, one who is the Lord. So, today, there's a narrative in our world that tells people, God just wants you to be happy, so you do you. And many have bought the lie that has essentially forced God off the throne so that we can sit there all by ourselves. Now, there's just one small problem with that. That is not following Jesus. It's following our sinful impulses. And although this idea has been packaged and repackaged in a way that makes it sound like it's loving and kind, in reality, it's like a poisonous kiss. It's nice until it kills you, right? This attempt to convince us that we don't need to experience transformation, that we're just fine the way we are, it's a lie and it will destroy all who believe it. So if we want to experience transformation, if we want to see dramatic change come to our lives, then we need to get off the throne. We need to get out of the driver's seat. We need to follow Jesus. And at Overflow Church, fundamental transformation is one of our key values. And to experience transformation, we have to allow the king to be the one calling the shots. So just as a point of clarification uh, you may be wondering what that word fundamental means to us. You can throw that on the screen if you would, Chris. Fundamental transformation. Now, rest assured, we are not saying that we should become fundamentalists and resort to uber-legalistic practices and beliefs. Now, what we mean by fundamental is more like core, that our our transformation isn't just some surfacey spiritual wardrobe change, but that it, it has taken root deep within our souls and we are changed from the inside out that is fundamental transformation when we have been changed everything about us is different and where we have been placed begins to look different as well so as we walk through paul's story and our own let me say that this is not a four steps to achieve transformation Uh, Instead, this is four effects of transformation. When you have been changed by Jesus, these four areas should begin to look different. So there's not like a a progression. You must complete transformation one before you can begin transformation two. These are just things that will begin to look different in your life. So I want to clarify that before we jump in. But as we look at Paul's story, we need to recognize first how Jesus transforms our identity. That's our first point today. Jesus transforms our identity. And this isn't so much a, a part of the text, but I do feel like I need to mention Paul is referred to as Saul here in this text. And I'm going to call him Paul just for consistency. But there's a, a fairly common misconception that uh, I want to address. Both Saul and Paul are and always have been his name. Okay? Okay? Um, It's not like Peter, where Jesus gave him a new name when he started following. Saul was his Jewish name that he inherited, and Paul was his Greek or Latin name. So as we see him referred to throughout Scripture, primarily later in Acts and in the letters that Paul wrote, we see him called Paul because he's ministering to those Greek and Latin people in particular. So, both names are applicable, but we're going to call him Paul just for consistency. So Luke records pretty clearly who Paul was in the first few verses of Acts 9. He says Paul was breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Paul believed that the way, which is the term they used to describe those who followed Jesus in the early days. Uh, if you think back to Jesus' words in uh, John 14, he says, "I am the way, the truth, and the life." That that really caught on, and people started calling this group of followers the way. So, Paul is going after the way. He is pursuing them, believing that they are not just believing a false truth, but they are leading deception. That they are an enemy that needs to be crushed. So, as we consider how Jesus transformed Paul's identity. It's pretty clear to see his own words applied to his story. I love this. We see Paul's words in Romans chapter 5 that speak so clearly to his own story in the early days. Romans 5.8 says, God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is so beautiful to me, seeing the transformation that happened in Paul's life that his own words could speak to his younger self and say, yeah, that's where you were. You were not just a good guy who believed the wrong thing. You were an enemy. You were opposed to Christ and all that he brought. He was living in firm opposition to God. He had made himself an enemy of God even though he believed he was living in pursuit of godliness. Now, that's where Paul came from, a place of religious legalism that had completely pushed God and his desires out of the picture. And it was there that transformation began. Now, clearly, Paul wasn't yet ready to experience transformation at this point. But it's here that we see Jesus interrupt his current path. So as Paul is traveling to continue his mission of crushing and exterminating the followers of Jesus, Jesus personally brought Paul to a place of humility. Have you guys ever been brought to that place of humility? It's, it's a really fun place, right? Uh, where we are forced into a place of desperation, where we don't know the answers, where we aren't sure that everything's going to be okay. Okay. It's not a fun place, but it's in that place often where transformation begins, where we come to the point that says, I can't do it, period. (laughs) I've tried, and I've just made things worse, but it's in that place of desperation, of humility, where transformation begins, because it's there that we can recognize that there is a better way, that we need to change. And it's in that place where we're most likely to listen to correction. Now, transformation always comes with a cost. We have to lose something or give it up in order to gain something else. That's just a, a life reality. If you think of a physical transformation, if you want to get in shape, you have to give up certain foods, you have to give up Uh, habits. Uh, You have to change your time and effort so that you can invest in your physical health. If you want to experience financial transformation, you have to give up frivolous spending. You have to give up access to your money for a season in order to exchange it for stocks or interest rates or whatever. But as the saying goes, we have a quote that your life is perfectly designed to achieve the results that you currently have. Your life is perfectly designed to achieve the results that you currently have. The problem is most of us aren't okay with the life that we currently have. We want more. We want something different. We're discontent at times. So if you want to experience a different reality, you need to give up some things in order to achieve different results. Now, regarding Paul's transformation, he had to give up his previous identity, but he exchanged it for something far better. Two other thoughts really quickly regarding this transformation of identity that Jesus brings. First, the transformation wasn't something that Paul could produce on his own. He couldn't just do better, right? It took a supernatural act of God. And this supernatural act quickly affirmed both Jesus' power And it gave credibility to his message. But again, it could only be achieved by Paul giving up control of his life. Now, he could have responded to the blindness in bitterness and anger. And I would have imagined he would have died, a bitter and angry man lost on his way to Damascus. But because he got off the throne in his life, the blindness actually became a gift Because it led to his transformation. Second thing, God chose to use a regular guy named Ananias. Uh, We don't really ever see Ananias actively mentioned again in scripture, which makes me think he probably wasn't a super disciple, right? (laughs) Um, He shows up here, he does what Jesus told him to, and then he just kind of goes back to life as it was. Now, I, I imagine from time to time he caught wind of what Paul was doing every once in a while, and he thought, wow, I, I got to play a part in that. That was so cool. But all in all, he just did what God told him to, and then continued on as normal. And he really didn't seem super enthused about it, right? Did you catch that in the text? Uh, when God told him what to do, Ananias said, Ananias said, Lord, I've heard from many people about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem, and he has authority here from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. He knew about Paul. He knew that he was dangerous. He didn't seem excited about going to this dangerous man until Jesus told him, go for this man as my chosen instrument to take my name to Gentiles, kings, and Israelites, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. It seems like once he realized that Paul was going to have to suffer, he's like, oh, cool, I'm good with that, let's go, right? <laughs> once what he heard lined up with what he valued, he was ready to go. So, although Ananias may not have been super influential or impressive, he did make a lasting impression on Paul. You know, the only other time his name is mentioned in Scripture is in Acts 22, when Paul is recounting his story of being transformed. And he, he gives credit to Ananias for coming and sharing the good news with him. And it's clear that although Ananias wasn't this world-changing missionary, he changed the world for Paul. So as you and I consider how Jesus transforms our identity, I want to take a moment and consider how Paul's experience can translate to our stories as well. So first, all of us began as enemies of God and his kingdom. Just like Paul, we were opposed to God. And we may not have been as vehemently opposed as Paul was, but all of us were born as sinners. None of us are able to do right things on our own to earn our way to heaven. It doesn't work like that. We cannot work our way to righteousness. Instead, we have to submit to Jesus and his ways, not our own. We have to get off the throne and give up control to Jesus. Third, God can use anyone. I don't know about you, but I am so encouraged knowing that Ananias wasn't a superhero. It, It means so much to me. That he just needed to be willing, and God used him to change the life of one of the greatest missionary, church planter, disciple makers the world has seen. So as you and I are invited into God's mission, don't count yourself out by listing all of your weaknesses or inadequacies or what you don't know or can't do. Instead, imagine all that God can do through you, just through a faithful okay. I may not be excited about it, but I trust you and I'm willing. As J.D. Greer says, put your yes on the table and let God put it on the map. We don't have to know all the details, but we can know that God is able to do more than we ever could. So don't list out what you think you are or are not qualified for. Just leave it in God's capable hands. As Paul was beginning to experience this change in his identity. He also came to understand our second point for the day, that Jesus transforms our perspectives. Now, Paul literally went from sight to blindness to sight again, but it was way more than his ocular ability, right? It was his outlook as a whole that changed. His understanding of who Jesus is was dramatically affected, And his plans were completely changed. In those three days of darkness, there was no denying that God was in control. Paul, he couldn't cause his eyesight to fail or to bring it back. He was just in a state of complete dependence. And the text even points out that the others had to take his hand and guide him because he was completely at a loss. But that recognition, it sparked a new perspective. From that point on, he could not deny that he had an encounter with the Lord. It was really a beautiful form of repentance of the mind. Now, typically, when we think of repentance, we think of it as an action, right? That we're doing something, and then we stop doing that thing, and then we turn around and go the other direction. That's typically what we think of for repentance. But I think we can also and should also consider it in our mind as well. When, when we encounter truth, specifically capital T truth, meaning Jesus, our thinking, it should conform to him. So as believers, I think we sometimes misunderstand what it means to be people of faith. I think sometimes we're tempted to believe that walking by faith means that we don't have to engage our minds. And I don't believe that is God's design. I believe that he gave us truth and evidence and reason and science and all of these beautiful gifts to help us understand him more clearly. Because if God created the heavens and the earth, which scripture affirms, and I believe wholeheartedly, then all of it, nature, science, history, reasoning, it should affirm him and his word. We don't just walk blindly We walk mindful and thankful. We can trust Him in the difficult times where we don't see it all because of how much He has revealed to us. I want to see Christians modeling this repentance of the mind. I want to see us do it in such a way that we seek out and pursue truth, not just opinions. Because the more we learn and study and grow, the greater our faith should be strengthened. As you know and have probably experienced, our world is moving further and further away from truth and evidence, and it's leaning into relativism with ideas like my truth, which is just incoherent. There's no such thing as my truth and your truth. There's truth. So if if we can use what God has given us, it just continues to reaffirm the solid ground that we stand on. So as followers of Jesus, we must model a better way. We must allow Jesus to transform our perspective. Paul's perspective was transformed in particular regarding who Jesus is and what the church is and why we need both. And for you and me, Jesus might transform our perspective in the same ways. He might help us understand who Jesus is and that we need him, that we cannot do life without him. And he might show us that we need the church. He might continue to reaffirm that this is a gift. It's not just a fun option to add onto the side. It is something that we're created for. And as he transforms our perspective we'll continue to see him strengthen the reality of who he is. And we'll walk on solid ground. So as our perspective is transformed by Jesus, we again have to give something up, right? When Paul encountered truth, he gave up his belief that Jesus was just a rebel who was killed for his attempts to upset the religious systems of the day. Paul also gave up his belief that the followers of the way needed to be punished and quieted. Now for you and me, when we encounter truth, we also need to give up some beliefs and some ideas. Like Paul wrote in, the, in Romans 1, mankind has exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Now we need to exchange the lies for the truth of God. We need to get rid of the, the falsehoods. We need to get rid of the opinions and stand on the truth. And that might look different for each of us, what we have to give up in exchange for the truth. But we're all making this exchange. We're all giving up what is false in order to hold on to what is true. Some of us might need to give up the lie that following Jesus is all about maintaining a certain appearance or following all of the rules. Others might need to give up the lie that our sins aren't as bad as the sins of others. In time, you may even begin to recognize that certain things you've been taught, I hope not, but maybe even by me, certain things you've been taught may not stand on Scripture. I work hard to make sure what I teach is following and proclaiming the Bible wholeheartedly. But I don't want you just to trust me. I want you to stand on Scripture. That's why you'll often hear me say, Study it yourself. I I seek out the answers, and I want to do a solid job of standing on and delivering the truth, but all of us are responsible for this. So whatever it is, if you want to experience transformation, let me encourage you to cling to what is clearly revealed in Scripture and hold everything else with open hands. As we continue on, when Paul experienced transformation in his identity and his perspective— it pretty immediately impacted his relationships. And that's the third area of transformation today. Jesus transforms our relationships. Now, after Paul was baptized, Luke records in verse 19 that he was with the disciples in Damascus for some time. And I don't know if it's something that can be scientifically proven, but I think it's adorable and hilarious when you see how a couple as they grow older, continue to look more and more like each other. Like They spend more time together, and their, their likes and their dislikes and even their appearance at times tends to grow toward the other. And I, I think it's awesome. Um, and I think in my many years as a youth pastor, that is just a, a true statement across the border. Who you spend time with begins to shape who you are. I would also often tell my students, show me your friends and I'll show you your future, right? The people you spend time with will affect who you become. So as Paul began to spend more time with the disciples, those he once considered enemies, he began to consider them friends and brothers and sisters. And the Pharisees, who he once considered co-laborers, They quickly changed their opinion on Paul, and no longer was he thought of as a faithful Jew. Now he was an enemy that they were trying to kill. And in verses 23 through 25, we read, After many days had passed, the Jews conspired to kill him. But Saul learned of their plot. But they were watching the gates day and night, intending to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the wall. Now, essentially, Paul's relational map was completely just flipped upside down within a matter of days, right? Those he once considered to be his enemies were now those saving his tail. (laughs) And those he thought to be brothers were the ones now trying to kill him. Another curveball was the fact that once he arrived in Jerusalem, the disciples didn't trust him yet. Uh, but Barnabas, he took a chance and helped the disciples understand the transformation that Paul had experienced. So again, to experience transformation, we need to give something up. And in relational transformation, that means we need to be giving, be willing rather, to see our relationships changed. Now let me say, giving up relationships here does not mean abandoning those people. Just because you may not see eye to eye with someone or they may have a different set of beliefs doesn't mean that we have to completely abandon those people, but it does change our relationship. Now we see those friends and family members and co-workers as people who need to hear the good news of what Jesus has done in our lives. They're not enemies to cut off and ignore. They're people that we care about deeply who we are going to, to show them how good this Jesus is. And we need to maintain that because they matter. People matter. So we pursue them missionally rather than just continuing on as if you were in total agreement or cutting them off as if they're the enemy. On top of that, relational transformation makes room for new godly friends who will encourage And challenge you as needed. Now Christianity is not a solo sport. It's not dependent on me. It's not uh, just trying to survive as long as we can. It's something that we do together because we need each other and we're stronger together. So that is relational transformation. So finally in verse 31 we read, So the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. Now this reverse reminds us of our fourth and final point today. Jesus transforms our world. Now we may not ever see the full result, this side of heaven, but when Jesus' followers are transformed, the places God puts us begin to look and behave differently. And that is really the cherry on the top of this fundamental transformation that we desire to see at Overflow. When our lives have been transformed by Jesus, wherever he has placed us should reflect his love and his heart. Our neighborhoods should begin to radiate Jesus' love because he has placed you in that neighborhood. He has put you there on purpose. Your workplace should begin to exhibit peace, and kindness because you have followed Jesus' example and you have loved those co-workers well, even when they don't deserve it. This school that we're meeting in today, it should begin to reflect Jesus' sacrificial love because we gather here each week and we volunteer and invest ourselves in the community. And as we bring everything together together, And close out the message this morning, let me encourage you to consider where you have already experienced transformation in your life and where you might need to intentionally get off the throne and turn your eyes to Jesus. Have you experienced fundamental transformation? Or are you content to remain as you are? Now remember, your life is perfectly designed to achieve the results that you have. And a life that's rooted in anything other than Jesus will be found empty. Now, believe me, more is not the answer. More money won't make all your problems go away. More friends won't bring satisfaction. More time won't fix your stress. More is not the answer. Transformation is. Specifically, the transformation that Jesus brings to Is the only answer. And he tells us, whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will find it. So if you want life today, maybe you need to lose your identity. Maybe you need to be found in the identity of Jesus. Or maybe you need to lose your perspective. Instead of trusting your opinions or the opinions of others, seek out the truth. Look for true understanding. Maybe you need to lose your relationships instead of continuing with the old crowd and their old ways. Maybe you need to turn a page and cultivate a new community that will help you thrive in following after Jesus. And if you need that, we would love to be that place for you here at Overflow. And maybe if we do this together, we'll see our world change as we all experience the transformation that is only found in Jesus. Maybe our neighborhoods and our workplaces and our schools and our communities will begin to experience this transformation themselves. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you have a better way than what we can come up with on our own. I thank you that you are a king who's worthy to sit on the throne. And I pray that we would be transformed. If there's any part of our life where we are on the throne, help us to identify it, and help us to get off because we need to be transformed. We need to be made new. We need to reflect you. And Father, I pray that you'd give us the boldness to take those steps. Give us the brothers and sisters who will help us take them faithfully. I pray that you would be glorified in it all. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, friends, as we do each week following our our message, we we don't want to just sit for a moment and then leave and go back to the way things were. But we want to give you an easy step to begin applying what we've been talking about. So we have this overflow challenge that we do each week. Uh, and we've been focusing on a different character trait for an entire month. This month, we've been looking at the character trait of peace because don't we all need more peace in our lives, right? There's so much chaos going on, so much frustration. We need to be rooted in the peace of Christ. So here's one easy way that you can continue to grow in peace this month. Here's our, our challenge for the week. Share with one person where you hope to experience transformation, and ask them to pray for you in this. So as we talked about four ways today, identity, perspective, relationships, and world, uh, if there's one of those that stands out to you, share that with someone. As we're wrapping up today, uh, invite someone to join you in praying for that. Otherwise, send a text to a trusted friend or family member who will stand with you in that. Uh, But don't do it alone grab someone to take this journey with you.